Every once in a while, I get a phone call from, from an elder statesman, Brother Urshan, Brother Stone King, of course, Bishop Stark. Uh, every once in a while, they'll call me, Sister Mangan, and they have my number. And, and I always leave those conversations lifted. And during the course of those conversations that I've had, uh, and, the, and this has happened probably just in the last two months. I've spoken to all of these people for length of time. The book of Acts seems to be their focal point. So when, when our ministry team got together and started talking about who would teach, they offered me one of the books. And I said, of course, we, I want to teach the book of Acts. Now, there's not enough time in our month for me to go as far as I want to go, but we're going to dig down into this study and it's going to be in lifting to your spirit. Now, when I was young, I was in a program called Bible Quizzing. We're, we're trying to get that going this year again. It's a big commitment. But in 1985, I memorized the entire book of Acts. Sister Hudiger was my quizzing coach. And she would sit down with me, and from the last verse to the first verse, I quoted the book of Acts frontwards and then backwards to her. And um, it was my favorite book of the Bible to memorize. Now, I cannot, I cannot quote all the book of Acts to you now, um, but it's somewhere down in my brain. I couldn't even tell you where my car keys are, but uh, the Lord can bring something back to your remembrance. Because I believe this, you cannot withdraw something You've never deposited. But if you'll deposit prayer and sacrifice and the word, you can withdraw it. And the Lord will quicken to your mind what you put in your spirit and in your heart. Everyone said amen. I'm going to provoke you to say amen or whatever. I mean, somebody might even say go pastor or that's good. Or if you want to be the section where you say, well, we're not sure of that. Just raise your hand and say that's iffy. Something. Okay, so we're, we'll do a little, we're going to do a, a, a little common uh, thought here just in case you've not really investigated this too much. And, and that way we can kind of build, and we'll just kind of keep building. We'll, we'll, we'll do a little retraction here and there so that the foundation is always complete. The, the study is going to be the expository of the book of Acts. The, the only problem is I cannot go through every verse of the book but we'll, we'll go through the first chapter tonight and then we'll build through the subsequent chapters as we, as we go along. The writer of the book of Acts is Luke. Luke also wrote um, a previous book. And Luke is a physician uh, by trade. He's meticulous and he pays attention to detail. Um, the book is written to a man named Theophilus. Theophilus is a believer, and I won't dig down too deep into him, but he is someone of renowned stature, Theophilus. Um, this is not a name that's common in the English, Anglo-Saxon, uh, or, or any other culture. It's a, you have to remember that during the New Testament church, um, we have a division of empires 
but this is the Hellenistic culture. So Alexander the Great has died. He's left regions to his sons. Um, uh, Herod the Tetrarch now is, is in control. Um, the predominant language is Greek. Um, there are other languages uh, that are presented because Jerusalem is an epicenter of culture. Uh, we know that northern Africa uh, will frequent uh, Jerusalem. Um, we know that Simon uh, of Cyrene was from northern Africa. It was, it was Simon who, um, who helped carry the cross of Jesus Christ. Um, from the, the birthplace of Africa, Jesus was there hidden in Egypt and then brought out of it. Uh, this was also prophetic. Um, there's, a, there's a long line of, of, of Gentile culture um, that, that is presented in, in the New Testament church. But in particular, the only admission into this book of Acts were the Jews. So the Bible even says that the gospel is not hidden. It was given to the Jews first and also to the Greeks. So the Jews, um, for long periods of time, believed that they're the only ones that could be saved. But you're going to find out even in the first little bit of, of the book of Acts that Jesus never intended for this to happen. And we'll find that in verse 8. But let's, let's just talk a little bit about these books that are written. So Theophilus is a man of some renowned stature. But there is a common intention in all of the New Testament epistles and books that the writers reveal that they knew that their writings would be shared or read um, and rehearsed. And so, um, and so they were, they were led to write. Um, God is the author of the whole Bible. So God is the author of the book of Acts and Luke is the writer. It's, it's exactly like someone taking dictation from, uh, from someone else and then writing what they've heard. Uh, God's design. This is, the, the book of Acts is God's design. And this is not just a book, but it's, but it's a, um, it's a historical account of, of the commencement. Everyone say commencement. It's the historical account of the commencement of the church. And finally, this is God inspired, God inspired. You can put a little dash in between God and inspired. God inspired word. It's God inspired. So it's very clear, very clear now that we have to, we have to put this into play that the men who wrote the Bible, 32 writers, the men, this, the Bible was written over the span of about 1500 years. The oldest book in the Bible is Job. That's the oldest book in the Bible. The first five books is called the Pentateuch. Um, the Jews would uh, conscribe Torah. Um, Genesis was written by Moses. Moses was on the mountain with God. The Bible says God showed Moses his hinder parts. Uh, that, that doesn't mean back there. It, mean, it meant the beginning of time. 
So Moses got to see the beginning of time. Um, scaling through the Old Testament, you'll, you'll find these poetic books and then these prophets and minor prophets until you have this hard break at Malachi and 400 years of silence and then the inception of the Gospels. But the four Gospels, if I can put this into context, so I'm sorry, uh, God-inspired word, Luke's hand, Luke's hand. I, I want to just make a critical point because the Acts of the, of the Apostles is an interactive book. We saw this Sunday at this church. We saw the Acts of the Apostles enacted here in this house with the moving of the Holy Spirit, with the obedience to the Word of God, people receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and people re- being baptized, some rebaptized, in the only saving name of Jesus Christ. Acts 4.12, neither is there salvation in any other. That is a, that's a triple negative. We'll, we we, we got to get there. We're not there yet. Uh, you know my personality. I'm a little hyper. I want to jump ahead to, to chapter 4. We haven't even got verse 1. We're going to get through verse 1. So, the book of Acts is an interactive book. And it is a pivot point. Because all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, point to the book of Acts. Um, and... And they all end at the same place where the book of Acts begin. This is in your script. And all the books written afterwards point back to the book of Acts, except for the book of Revelation. Of course, I've given you this in your handout. The book of Revelation is roughly uh, 750 years uh, in between the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation. Um, So from the books or the epistles of Romans to Jude, all of those books have something in common. What do they have in common? Romans, Corinthians, Ephesians, Galatians, Thessalonians, uh, Jude, Philemon, all of them were written to people that were already saved. All of those books were written to churches or individuals that had already obeyed Acts 2.38. And so, if you read anything about salvation... In any of those epistles, you're reading a summarization of what has been spoken prior. Now, that's very critical for us because there are people who preach the Romans' road to salvation. And the Romans' road to salvation is taken from the book of Romans that all you have to do is believe and confess that Jesus is Lord and then you're saved. Now, this is true. You do have to believe. You do have to confess with your mouth. But that does not negate what Paul preached in Acts 19. It's just a summarization. What he's doing is he's talking to a church already saved. It's like me telling all the church, if you'll just confess, God will do the work. That doesn't mean that I'm not going to baptize you in Jesus' name. If Paul really believed that you didn't have to repent and you didn't have to be baptized in Jesus' name, and you didn't need to receive the Holy Ghost, he would have left the disciples of John in Acts 19 alone. He did not leave them alone. If he thought that all you had to do was believe, he'd have left them by themselves. Because Paul said in Acts 19, have ye received the Holy Ghost since he believed? Let 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 me just peel that back a little bit. Hey, believers, have you received the Holy Ghost? 
So when I find anyone, doesn't matter what denomination they are, if they're no, no denomination, and they say they're a believer, praise God. I don't tell them they're not believers. My next question is Paul's question. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you confessed that he's Lord? Have you received the baptism of the Spirit since you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior? Don't leave them where they are. Many people are walking in all the light they know. It's not for me to tell them that they're going to hell. It's for me to show them the the way of salvation. And you're going to find this in the book of Acts, that even, even Aquila Priscilla would take young men into their homes to show the word of God more perfectly. Why? Because there is some things that are critical. We don't leave people alone. We lead them on to salvation. These are very, these are very important subjects. In fact, this is the most important subject. And this is the best class that they're having right now. Can, did I already say that? Let's just, let's just say that one more time. I'm sorry for the other people that couldn't come. So why is this important? Why, why does this book matter so much? And the, and, and the answer is fairly simple, but you're, but, but you don't find the arrow in the book of Acts. In fact, you got to go back to the Gospels. The Gospels begin, if you're writing in your side notes, I've said this many times, but it's worth repeating. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John declare the, the birth, the life, the death, birth, life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. So I know where we're on, we're on the book of Acts, but I want you to be I want to be, I want you to be well versed in the Bible. I want smart, intellectual saints of the Most High God at New Life Fellowship. We're not going to be dumb. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to know the scripture. Have you ever met someone who doesn't have a lot going on? Do you know someone right now that they, they don't have a lot going on? That, what do they say? There's a few fries short of a happy meal. You know, so I don't, I don't, I don't know, but we're not going to be that. We're, we're, we have to know the word. The Bible says, study to show yourself approved unto God. You are a workman and you should not be ashamed. I'll tell you how you can be ashamed. You don't know where anything else is in the scripture. You know everything about about the news. You know everything about the economy. You know sports. You know whatever. You know your trades. We got to know more than that. We need to know about the word of God. Amen. Everybody said amen. I'm provoking you. Okay. So, um, So, you go back to that. Those Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are in sync. They tell a very similar story because they begin at a similar place. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They start at the birth of Jesus Christ. They can all do, they can all do something similar. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. Okay. But not John. John doesn't start at the birth of Jesus Christ. John starts at the beginning. Because John wants to prove the deity and the omnipotence of Jesus Christ. So while Luke is going to begin the birth of Jesus Christ, and Matthew's going to begin at the genealogy of Jesus Christ, and then, and then declare the birth, all of them, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all of them declaring functions or images, events of his, of his natural birth. John wants to start at the beginning. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. 
All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shined in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Verse 14, and the word, logos, thought, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as of the, glo- as of the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Okay? So, so all of that now culminates into the death of Jesus Christ. And then Luke picks up the pen and under that he's going to write... And it's based upon what happened at the end. Now, what happened at the end? We can find it in the in we can find it in the book of Matthew. We can find the book of Luke, but we'll, for tonight we'll we'll look at the book of Matthew. Jesus said to Peter, "Thou art Peter. Upon this rock I'll build my church." Just for emphasis, Peter's not the rock; he's a pebble. He's a small stone. That's his name. Jesus is talking about himself. I'm going to build the church on me. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The gates are not offensive. That's government. Everybody got that? You can just write little things down so this makes an imprint in your brain. And now Jesus is going to give the declaration. It's not going to come to fruition until the book of Acts. I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind, it's going to be bound. Whatever you loose, it's going to be loosed. Upon this rock I will build my church. Underline the word church there in Matthew 16. That is the first time that the word church is used in the New Testament. So now we are introduced to the church that Jesus Christ is going to build. How is he going to build it? In conjunction with verse 18 is verse 19. I'm building my church. Here are the keys. I'm the rock. You're the preacher. He doesn't know it. Peter does not know what the keys are. There's no indication Peter knows. In fact, there's every indication that Peter does not know what's going on. In fact, Peter's going to have huge emotional swings between chapter uh, 16 and, and, and the, the, the death of Jesus Christ. Peter is a fisherman. He's going to, he probably is going to forget about what Jesus said. And he's going to draw his own sword and cut the ear of Malcolm, Malchus off because he's, because he's going to defend Jesus Christ. And then he's going to hide out and be afraid. And he's going to deny the Lord. And then he's going to run to the, to the tomb and find an empty tomb. And then the Lord's going to restore him and say, feed my sheep. And then something's going to happen. So now, now we're looking at, at the book of Acts. Watch this. Something had to happen because a church had to be birthed. Now, I just, I just want to cover this with you because I think it's critical to our understanding, especially in light of the people that we talk to. And the church is going to have an inception or a starting point. We had an inception. Now, as Gentiles, we were grafted in. Now, when we're grafted in, we're, we're not grafted in and remain as the Gentile. We are grafted in and remain as the Jew. And, you know, so, so because we're connected to the vine. Okay. Um, so, so we're in, in the vine at the branch. So we have an inception. That means you have a beginning. You were begotten. Uh, just like your natural birth, you're begotten. Uh, John chapter three, that you must be born again. That's being begotten. That means 
a born again experience means you have a new start. So I, I want to make sure that we, that we do this correctly because I don't want to leave any, if I can, no stone unturned. When, when someone is born again of the water and spirit, they're like an infant, a baby. They could be 80 years old or 70 years old or 30 years old. That doesn't mean that they're not going to make mistakes. No one has, has a child fully grown and mature. Some people are, are, they're late bloomers. They don't mature for many, many years. I'm not there yet, even myself, but I'm working on it. So there's an inception. So when was salvation critical to the church? It's the first time the church is being used. When did that begin? I'm going to build my, I will build my church. It wasn't built at that time. I will build my church. When was the church built? Well, in the book of Acts, it was built. But we have to look at what the requirements are when the church began. Anything prior, the requirements are different. I'll, you can write this down. It's not in your paper. But it's the Abrahamic covenant or Abraham's covenant. The Abrahamic covenant. Everyone prior to the death of Jesus Christ falls under the Abrahamic covenant. Now, where do we find that in the scripture? We find that in the book of Hebrews. I have it on your, your handout. Because even though the writers commissioned by King James to translate the Bible and to put under the direction of the Lord all those books in the, in the direct canon as it is, and we accept that and thank God for it. And even though the New Testament in your Bible begins in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, the fact of the matter is that the Testament did not begin until the death of Jesus Christ, which is at the end of all the Gospels. Now, how do you know that, Pastor? Well, look, look right here. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 16. I've given you two different translations just just for maybe your understanding. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. That's Jesus Christ. For a testament is a force after men are dead. Otherwise, it has no strength at all while the testator is living. Whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated with blood. So watch this. In the case of a will, a testament, it is necessary to prove the death of the one who made it. Because a testament, a will is in force only when someone has died. It never takes effect while the person's living. That's why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. So the testament began after the death of Jesus Christ. And so that's why we know when Jesus is hanging on a cross and and there's two thieves on either a thief on either side, two thieves and one curses the Lord and one one, one speaks to the Lord and defends him and the Lord turns to the thief and says, today you'll be with me in paradise. And when people say to you, well, well, look right there, that person's going to heaven and they weren't baptized. Well, why? Neither was Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, neither was Joseph, neither was the, n- neither was any of the prophets, not Joel, not Elijah. Why? Because they're all in the Abrahamic covenant. But when Jesus died, the testator died. And now there's a new inception of the church about to begin. So the thief on the cross got his shoulder right underneath Abraham. Man, he slid in by the skin of his teeth. 
God love him. I don't know who that guy is, but we got to find him when we get there. Say, man, I want to meet you. You're the last one under the old covenant. We'll all be dancing around the throne. But what happened is what Jesus did, the blood covered not only those who would come after his death, but all those who would come before. Because the blood of the ram, the goat, the turtle dove, the lamb could not cover their sins. They were all waiting for the blood of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that he was slain before or from the foundation of the world. Got to wrap your mind around that for a little bit. So in the mind of God, he's not in time, he's over time. He's before and after and in between and sideways and he existed a lot before, long time before our Gregorian calendar ever was put into existence. God, in his mind, had already done the work before the worlds were spoken. Amen. And not just in his mind, but in his, well, I have to use that word, in his time. Okay. Are we okay? Everybody understand that? You ready for a 20-point quiz right now? All right. We'll just wait till the end to give the quiz. Uh, I'm on the next page. And I, I want to describe this because this is important for us to take note of. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 1. Uh, there are people who do not understand this writing. And they misinterpret it, private interpret this and distort it altogether. So we're going to execute this correctly. Um, the writer of Hebrews, we, we are a little unsure, maybe Paul, uh, maybe some others. We, we, we're, we're thinking that some of it could be Paul. Uh, we do know he wrote 13 other, uh, New Testament books. Uh, this could be Paul. It sounds like his writing. So if so, we're not sure. Um, it's the only book that we're not, we're not absolutely sure of the, of the author. Um, could, could have some other influences there. Uh, in some of the apostles. So this is what was written in Hebrews chapter 6 verse 1. Now therefore leaving the principles of the doctrine of Jesus Christ. Now underline the word doctrine. That's very very important. Because the doctrine of Jesus Christ are the, are the things that the Lord left his disciples. But I want to just caution you first of all. This, the word leaving does not mean abandon. It does not mean to abandon. It means to go forward. What it, what it means if you, if you, if you elongate that word in its proper form, which would be our English language, it would mean, it does mean, now that you have established this foundation, let's build on top of it. Okay? So it's not, we're not, when it says leaving, it doesn't mean that we're forsaking. That's not what it's saying. It's saying there's a foundation. We're going to build on top of it. We're going to go on to perfection. Not laying again the foundation. Uh Uh-oh. Now we're going to declare what the foundation is. We're about to declare the foundation of the church. The foundation of the gospel. In fact, we can even be more specific. The foundation of the doctrine of Jesus Christ. The principles of the doctrine of Jesus Christ. This is the foundation. Repentance. Everyone say repentance. Repentance is critical. If you went to the... Oh man, I hope I'm not going too fast. Everybody got that? 150 feet by 75 feet. That's the dimensions of the tabernacle. 
Moses was given those instructions by God. The only other very specific instructions given by God was to Noah. Noah and Moses had very specific instructions. How to build the ark, how to build the tabernacle. Solomon's temple took the aspects of the tabernacle of Moses. Solomon did not hear the direct as God, as God spoke, uh, the direct instructions as God spoke to Moses. Solomon simply mirrored and then beautified what Moses had, had, had constructed. When you walked through the gate uh, into the tabernacle, the first article you found was the altar of repentance. It's very large, seven and a half feet by seven and a half feet, and it's deep. You can put multiple Ark of the Covenants in, in the middle of that. You could stack them and put them all around. You could put multiple of Ark of the Covenants. Because the Ark of the Covenant was only three and a half feet by two and a half feet. And, and it wasn't very high. And it, if you took the staves out, it wasn't, it wasn't very cumbersome. It was heavy because it was acacia wood covered with gold. But especially if you remove the mercy seat from it, you could put many Ark of the Covenants inside. The largest article in the tabernacle was the altar. It was the most critical place. It's where death came. In fact, there was a pillar of smoke that went up from that. And neither wind nor man could interrupt that pillar of smoke. I don't care how windy it was. It didn't interrupt that pillar of smoke. That was the sacrifice unto the Lord. That's where the blood was spilled. That's where the blood was brought from. Uh, this is, this is, I, I like to take credit for it. Years ago, I was, I was, uh, I was debating, um, our doctrine with a couple of backslidden apostolic preachers. That's what I call them now instead of just, they're not wayward, just backslidden. And the reason why I call them backslidden is because I'm 54. And I've lost a filter somewhere along the line. Just, just backsliders. And they're arguing with the same thing their fathers taught them. And now they're debating the things that their fathers gave them. And they're, and they're diluting the things that their dads and moms sacrificed for. Amen. Whew. You, you kind of feel that. You already feel that burn fire in me like right now. Let's, let's go. And they called, they called me a, a three-stepper and they were a one-stepper. And I said, well, you just let me know what that means. And they said, well, it's all done at repentance. I can remember getting on the phone with Brother N.A., not N.A., Brother Nathaniel Paul Urshan. And I told him, he said, well, you tell them, Brother Jeffrey, tell them. It's not where the blood was spilled. It's where the blood was applied and consumed. The blood was spilled at the altar, but it was consumed on the mercy seat. That's the end cap. So the three steppers, of course, is that we believe in repentance and we believe in the washing and we believe in the regeneration of the spirit. And they wanted to cut all that stuff out. Well, you don't get to cut it out because that's not how Moses constructed it and that's not the doctrine of Jesus Christ. We're going we're gonna to read it now. We're going on to perfection and we're looking at it. Repentance from dead works, faith towards God. The doctrine of plurality, baptisms. You must be born again of the water and the spirit. Baptized with water and baptized in the Holy Ghost. The laying out of hands was part of the doctrine of Jesus Christ. The resurrection from the dead. Eternal judgment. Heaven and hell. 
eternal judgment. So this doctrine, if you were, you've got, you've got a little room on your page if you want to turn it over, but I don't know if you want to draw this out. I, I don't, I can't draw it for you, but, but Pentecostalism is an experience and, and Pentecost is, is, is a true experience. We don't really have, even though you could say it, I mean, we use words a little loosely. It's not the Pentecostal, uh, uh, it's not really the doctrine of the Pentecostals. It's really the, the, the apostles' doctrine. Um, Pentecost was the birth of the church. It's, um, it's the birth of this church. It's the second of the three major festivals in Israel. Uh, Pentecost is a little harder because it's 50 days after the Passover. So you just got your family back home and now you got to pack up and go back to Jerusalem. And, and, and in the fall, Sukkot happens in the fall. Uh, so Pentecost is a kind of a hard journey. You get back to Pentecost, but people still came. In fact, they came from all regions of the world. So after Pentecost is over, we're going to read in, in, in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, that they continued steadfastly in what? The apostles' doctrine. So just, just for all of you who wonder, why do we call ourselves apostolic? Why do we call ourselves apostolic? Well, because we're following the apostles' doctrine we're following the apostles. And, and the reason why we're doing this is because Jesus Christ gave them his doctrine. So this is, a, this is an identification today. And we almost have to have this identification because there's a lot of people who call themselves Pentecostal. Uh, many years ago, I think she passed away, but many years ago there was a, there was a, a woman. Uh, she had big pink hair and she was on television. She was a, some Christian, uh, I don't know, uh, figure, I suppose. And uh, she said she was Pentecostal. And uh, I, I don't even, I honestly can't even remember her name. It wasn't Tammy Faye Baker. It was another one. And she had a big, it looked like a, a pink pillow had exploded on top of her head. And she said that it doesn't matter how you take communion. You can have a little Mountain Dew and a potato chip. I think that's sacrilegious. And I think she deluded, her and her whole group had deluded all of the doctrine and all of the Bible down to nothing. You just, no one's going to hell. And, and all you have to do is say Jesus and you're saved. This was a lie of the devil. It's apostasy. You better get in the word and find out what the Bible says. Because you don't want to be standing here when the trumpet sounds and saying, well, I thought you didn't have to do that. Well, well, I didn't think that that was right. It's not up to you what you think. It's up to the Bible. What does the Bible say? Surely we know that the Lord is coming back soon. You can see the signs in the sky. You can see the signs of the time. The Lord's coming back soon. We've got to get back into the word and find out where we began and get back to where we began. Amen. Okay, so it's a little preachery. I apologize for that. But I'll, I'll try to lay off that. But so this is this is the scripture. Here is the scripture. They they continued in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in breaking the bread and in prayers. So let's just put a little meat on the bones of a doctrine because we're, we're trying to get to the doctrine and where it happened, where it was first preached. The keys of the kingdom. The doctrine is a belief system or a set of beliefs. I know that almost is redundant, but it's a belief system. So you have to have a system. Uh, uh, these are, uh, another word for it would be tenets. It's a conviction that something is true. What's your doctrine? Every president of the United States in the last, oh, I don't know, I think it's been since Roosevelt, the, the, the press has asked them, what is your doctrine? And, and it came from, I think it came from World War II because, because we didn't know in World War II whether or not we were going to get involved. In fact, we were really late to the game in World War II. And, um, and so the doctrine that, that the press 
And the journalists always ask the president, what's your doctrine? And they meant by that, do you, do you believe in a preemptive strike or do you wait until we are hit before you strike, before you use our military? So all the presidents have kind of had to answer that and some of them are very clever and they, they don't answer it. The better the politician, uh, the less answers you get. So then you don't really know. and You just kind of make up your own thing. Uh, so the doctrine is a conviction. It's something you believe. It's something you hold fast to. And then the last of this is, it's an article, uh, the articles of faith. And the articles of faith are not necessarily what the church writes down, but it's what you believe they are, the articles of faith. And how do you find them? You find them in the scriptures. So I can't just make them up. I go to the Bible to find out what are the articles of faith? What are the tenets? What are, what is true? The scripture is true. It's undeniably true. Heaven and earth will pass away. Jesus said, but my word will not pass away. So just, if anyone's watching this or if anyone's viewing this later or sometime, just, I just want you to know that there is no church organization that has monopolized the doctrine of Jesus Christ. I personally belong to the United Pentecostal Church International, but, but it, it only, it, it only began in 1945. There was, there was, Hundreds of years that people believed in this doctrine. Long, and there's many other apostolic organizations throughout the world. In fact, there are some places in China where there's massive groups of people who've never even heard of, 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 uh, of this organization. And they're, they believe in the same doctrine that, that I'm teaching tonight. So I don't want you to think that you have to be part of some organization. But I do want you to know that, that Whatever you're a part of, it needs to be a place that preaches the doctrine of Jesus Christ. Whatever the title is, if you get away from holiness and godliness and baptism and, and the oneness of God, if you get away from the infallibility of the word of God, then it doesn't matter what, what name of that church. It doesn't matter. Because there's a lot of names. You get confused at the names. Just, I just want you to know that the apostles' doctrine is upon us, and this is what we espouse to. Okay, now you're going right into, and I put all of these verses down with little subtitles for us, and we're going to do a little expository thing. We'll go kind of quick, because I do want to just keep this to an hour, uh, although I, I don't know how, how we'll do. We'll, we'll, we'll try to do well. The former treaties have I made off the office of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen to whom also he showed himself alive by many infallible proofs. Everybody say days of gray. Someday I'm going to just teach a whole lesson on the days of gray. We don't know what happened in the days of gray. I made that up. Days of gray. You're going to find that in the Bible. Just my thought. These are times that are not described by the Bible, but just big blurbs with many other things that he show himself with. Many other things that he expound. Well, what other things? Forty days, Jesus is speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And that's it. You don't get anything else in 40 days. Nothing. In fact, it looks like on the 40th day, you finally get a little glimpse as to what Jesus was talking about. We don't even know everything that he did during that time. We just don't know. We know a handful of things, but mostly just 
Most of it, we just don't know. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them. This is his disciples now. And there's many of them. Now, they're all gathering together. There's many of them. He said, go to Jerusalem and wait. Here's an introduction. Now, this term, the promise of the Father, Luke also wrote it prior to this in the, in the last chapter of the book of Luke. Luke said that Jesus told them, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. And so he's going to repeat that again, this promise of the Father. And he says, which saith he, you've heard of me. And then he, then Jesus says, John baptized with water. Who is John? John the Baptist. This is the six month older cousin to Jesus Christ. It's the son of Elizabeth. And he's already, he's been, he's gone on with the Lord. He's, he's, he's been killed a long time ago. He baptized with water. But ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. There is a baptism. There's the baptism of the Spirit right there. So, so when we look back, not laying again the foundations, going to perfection, what are those things? The baptisms. There's a baptism here. This is a baptism of the Holy Ghost. Jesus said it. When they were come together, they ask a question. Of course, this is, causes some consternation. Among the disciples, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? They're still under the notion that Jesus Christ will now, now that he's resurrected, that he will ascend to some physical throne and overthrow the Roman Empire. Now the Roman Empire is marking down its days. In fact, it looks like the Roman Empire probably has about 40, less than 40 years left. It's going to crumble. The Roman Empire. And most of these disciples that are talking to Jesus are going to die. In fact, by the time that John is sent to the Isle of Patmos, he's 90 years old. Uh, John is boiled in oil. The Isle of Patmos is an, is a, it's, it is a, when he writes his later books, John is surrounded by water on the Isle of Patmos. He's probably the only one. He outlives all the apostles. John lives, out, outlives all of them. James is thrust through with a sword. Peter is taken. He's crucified upside down. Uh, Andrew is crucified uh, in a region that gives witness to Scotland. He's, he's in later years, it gives witness to Scotland. He's crucified on a, on an X. A cross is, is, is laid on its side on an X. Uh, many of them are beheaded. They were, they were sawn asunder. These, many of the disciples, if you ever read the book of martyrs, you'll find out that many of these disciples are killed. But John is on the Isle of Patmos. And he writes his books. Uh, and it's a prison island. They didn't need bars. Once you put them on the island, they couldn't get off. That's why John writes in the book of Revelation that heaven, in heaven, here's the word. Ooh, it gives me chills every time I quote it. There's no more sea. <laughs> when you write, there's no more sea. See, to heaven, to you, is going to be different than heaven to John. Because John's saying, I'm not going to be trapped any longer away from my brothers. I can't get past these waves, this ocean, this massive sea. I'm trapped, but in heaven, there's no more sea, no more chains. <laughs> Man, when you get to heaven, you're going to say in heaven, there's no more rejection. There's no more disappointment. 
There's no more death. There's no more sickness. There's no more trouble. Yes. So, of course, Jesus has to once again repel, um, almost a rebuff, but he says, don't worry about that. Times and seasons are in the hand of the Lord. He's put his own power. God will do what he will do in his own time. Ladies and gentlemen, you'll never rush the hand of God. He's, you're never going to, you can try to get ahead of him and you certainly can be behind. You know, there's a, there's a conference called Because of the Times. I've, I've gone to my own conference called Behind the Times. Anybody been to that conference, Behind the Times? Like something happened, you're wondering, you're like, they're like a month late last year. That happened last year. I didn't even know that happened. I'm behind the times. And Jesus said, don't, you don't worry about what Israel is going to be. All of that is in God's hands, not in yours. He, they're still, listen, they don't, they're not born again of the spirit. All they are is onlookers to the all of a resurrected savior. Watch this. The only claim to fame in Acts chapter one is that their sins have been forgiven, but their sins have not been remitted. <laughs> okay. So we got to jump ahead because that's how my brain's working right now. Everyone say four, F-O-R. Write it down, four. Write it down in your paper, four. Four in the Greek has six derivatives. One of those derivatives and the main one means because. I'm sorry, not the main one. It's, it's one because, but the main one means to obtain. To obtain, and down the line, it's in one of those six is because. When you get to Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter says, repent, here are the keys of the kingdom, and be baptized, every one of you, for, everyone say for, that means to obtain the remission of sins. So in Acts 1, they're just forgiven. That means you got a debt, and the debt's been marked out, but it's still present. In Acts 1, there is a forgiven debt. But when you're baptized in Jesus' name for or to obtain remission, it means it was never there in the first place. It completely went away. <laughs> Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? We had never even heard. Well, how were you baptized? Well, we were baptized under John's baptism. Well, what was that baptism? That was the baptism of repentance. Why would John baptize for the baptism of repentance? Because in Israel, they were all accustomed to ritual baptisms. When I go to Israel, in fact, when I even go down to En Gedi, on our way down to Masada, there's a little place where we stop, and there's, a, there's an old, old archaeological dig, and you can find where they were writing, where they were writing, scribes were writing the scripture. They were, they were, they were trans, not translating, but they were copying scripture. But before they started copying the scripture, they went down with a robe on and dipped themselves in a ritual bath. It's called a mikvah. On the south side of Jerusalem, on the south, what would have been the south, southern wall, there were mikvahs all over the place. <laughs> That's because you dipped yourself into the ritual bath before you walked into the temple. Ritual bath, then you walk up the steps into the temple. Where were people baptized on the day of Pentecost? How can 3,000 people be baptized in one day? I'll tell you how, before sundown. 
Because all the people that were filled with the Holy Ghost were baptized and everybody in the mikvahs. See, Israel already understood ritual baptism. But when John came along, he said, hold on. Forget the ceremony and the ritual. You need to be baptized into repentance. But listen, I'm going to do this. But I am the, I am the one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. So when Paul found the disciples of John in Acts 19, he said, how were you baptized? They said, well, we were baptized under John's baptism. And Paul said, well, John verily preached the baptism of repentance, saying to the people, believe on him who should come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, what did they do? They were baptized, the Bible says, Acts 19, in the name of the Lord Jesus. And the next verse says, Paul laid his hands on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. And the verse after that says, and the number of the men were 12. <laughs> All right, everybody still with me? Did I lose anybody? I feel like the level of our biblical knowledge just risen, just, just miles in there. And if I'm telling you something you already know, just, to, just humor me and just say, oh, that's good. Even though you already knew everything I was saying. Just, that way I'll feel like I've done something. Okay. So here is Acts 1 and 8. It should have been the indication that what was about to happen was not just for the Jews. Because Jesus said, but ye shall receive power... After the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you'll be witnesses both to me in Jerusalem. Everybody's good with that. All Judea, this is a little sketchy. Samaria, nobody wants to go there. And unto the uttermost part of the earth, and absolutely not. And absolutely not. Peter had a problem with that in Acts chapter 10. Between Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 10, there's a decade. A decade after Acts 2. Peter has a vision. Peter gets to Cornelius' house. Now, I understand, and I've said it many times, that the door to the Gentiles was open in Acts 10. And it is true, except there's one little problem with that. (laughs) The problem with that is Philip kind of interrupts all of that. Because Philip finds the Ethiopian eunuch before Acts 10. And he finds him and he says, do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch says, well, I don't know what I'm reading. He was reading the scroll of Isaiah. And the Ethiopian eunuch is so convicted by Philip's preaching that, that it was the eunuch that said, hey, there's water. Why can't I be baptized? Well, yeah, well, we've never done, we've never had an Ethiopian, we've never, there's no gen- yeah, let's go get baptized. He baptizes him in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then, of course, you know, that's kind of hidden because it didn't really explode. And one of the reasons why there's over a million people today baptized in Jesus' name, filled the Holy Ghost in Ethiopia. I'll tell you why. Because Philip introduced that way back in the book of Acts to the Ethiopian eunuch. Amen. They get a long, Ethiopia has a long history of the apostolic doctrine. Ethiopia has the first introduction Think about that. Whoa. And if you think that's something, then go find out who Moses' wife was. She's also an Ethiopian. I don't know. When, when Billy Cole went to Ethiopia and he had 74,000 people receive the Holy Ghost in one service, and the next crusade that 67,000 people received the Holy Ghost, where do you think that harvest came from? That, those seeds were planted 2,000 years ago. Amen. 
One of our pastors, Brandon Ball, called me a couple weeks ago. He'll be here at the end of the month just with me during the weekday. And he went over to Ethiopia. He's been preaching and teaching many of the pastors. I think there was uh, 15 or 20 of the pastors. And they have hundreds and thousands, uh, a couple thousand people in their churches. And he's teaching them more more perfectly the, the, the word of God. It's incredible what's happening. So... They should have had indication in Acts 1 and 8 that this was broad, but they really did not have it yet. And then in verse 9, we're going to start reading about the transition. This is a transition. If you're making just personal notes, you can do this. Jesus was taken up into heaven. um, And they were looking at him. And the angel that was there spoke. And one of the angels obviously uh, said, you need to go and, and, um, and go where the Lord has sent you and to Jerusalem and you're going to see him again. When you get to Acts 1 and 12, uh, now the people are together and there's a problem. The problem is in, is in it's found in the scripture. Jesus had said, that the foundations of heaven had the names of the twelve apostles on them. But when Judas betrayed the Lord and for 30 pieces of silver, he felt so convicted by what he had done. Think of this. He brought the money back to the high priest and he laid it at their feet. And what did the high priest say? This is blood money. We can't take it back. They were so corrupt. They even knew how corrupt they were. So instead of putting it back in the treasury, they bought a field of clay, the potter's field. And it was told that that's where, that's where Judas was buried, the potter's field. And what was the potter's field? The potter's field was the discarded clay. Because after you work with clay and it doesn't, you, you keep working with the clay, that clay is then thrown out into this little area, almost maybe like a little, a little space there. Uh, it wouldn't be a large field, but nothing can grow there because the clay has been mixed and mixed and mixed and and it's been mixed with other, other, uh, other grain and gravel. And it's, uh, it's got a form that, that carries no nutrients. Uh, it's a discarded vessel. It's the unmoldable vessel. And they bought the, the, the clay, the unmoldable, unteachable, untrainable land. Now think of that. Before we get too, too far down the road, just think of that. Our hearts, we do, you determine the soil of your heart. There are people who sit in churches every Sunday. They have unteachable, untrainable, unmoldable lives. Don't, don't be that person. And if that's the case, nothing can grow out of your life. There is no fruit, uh, uh, a fruit produce. There's, there's no product out of that. You'll, known, you'll be known by your fruit. I, I could even say the absence of it. Be known by the absence of your fruit. And so the problem is that there was a prophecy that one would betray the Lord and his bishopric would be passed to another because we still have to have the foundations of heaven. Okay. So we'll just, we, I won't do the whole thing. Uh, five is often is often the number of grace. Six is the number of man. 
He was made on the sixth day. Seven is the number of divine perfection. Twelve is the number of governance. Three is a, is a minor of perfection also. Um, uh, it, it's akin to uh, the number seven. I won't go through all that. But twelve is the number of divine governance. And, and the foundations of heaven, this is in the scripture, that Jesus said that the names of the twelve apostles will be on those foundations. Well, we've got a problem. We've got eleven and we need twelve. And so Peter stands up in the midst of disciples, and after he says who was with them, Peter is guiding them because they have a unity issue. We're out of unity. We're out of focus, whether Peter knew it by instinct or by the leading of the Holy Spirit. He is saying that, that, that this field, verse 19, if you're looking on, on your, in your Bibles or on your paper, alchem. Dama, which is to say the field of blood. Now he's quoting from the psalm that it'll be a desolate place. No one will dwell there. Let his bishopric, his place, his seat be given to another. And so they found one that were the men that were traveling with them, unity with them back and forth. And I, I, I really feel like this is kind of where I want to end tonight. Not just because of the time, but, but this is my heartbeat. So they appointed two in verse 23. They're going to cast lots. They're going to vote on who should be that man. But, but the requirements was that they had, they had to be with them. They came in and out among us the whole time Jesus was with us. They accompanied with us. Beginning from the baptism of John unto the day in which you, they were with these men, Joseph called Barsippus, not Barabbas, Barsippus, Joseph and, and, and Matthias. So, Really, he was probably known more as Justice uh, and Matthias, these two men. And then they prayed, and they wanted to know, verse 25, who would take part of this ministry and what? Apostleship, from which Judas by transgression fell. So if, you, if, you, if you're reading, if you go back a little ways, you, you, you read that Peter is the one who declared, verse 18, now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst and all his bowels gushed out. And when my mother asked me what my favorite verse was, I would quote this verse to her. Uh, this is my favorite one, mom. Let me quote it to you. And I'd just talk about his bowels. And of course, she didn't appreciate that very much, but it was in the Bible. There's things in the Bible that I can say. So this is, the man hung himself, he killed himself. And so here, here are these two men. So let me just get to this little part. Uh, I, I, I wrote this uh, to some pastors and I'm, every once in a while I, I sent out some communiques to pastors and I asked this question. What about justice? What about justice? Uh, now that, that's not spelled the way that we might think of uh, justice in the way of what's right or wrong or what, what should, should have been done. His name is spelled J-U-S-T-U-S. Because, because the lot fell to Matthias. But what about justice? And we can only look in the historical account. Justice was with them. He stayed with them. He was not offended. He was not distraught. He didn't quit and say, well, I didn't get the place. What about justice? You know, what if it was down to just you and another person, but the lot fell on them and not on you? And so what's happened here is that they are recovering not just the spirit of unity, they are recovering the advancement of a unified body. Now, I, I've been talking about this unified. It's, a, it's, it's, it's an action, not just the feeling. And I like the feeling 
but it has to be an action. We're unified. We're marching forward together. And so because of that, uh, there is, uh, there is an, an elevation of Matthias to be numbered with the 11, making it 12. Now, whether by divine unction of the Holy Ghost or his own knowledge of the scripture, Peter knows we're out of sync, we're out of order, we have 11 and we need 12. And so we're not going to get past Acts 1 into Acts 2 without there being a unified effort. Now, everybody wants to get to Acts 2, but very few people want to work on Acts 1. We all want the outpouring of the Holy Ghost and we all still want our opinions. We like subjectivism. We like to tell what we think. We like to complain. We like to talk about things. We all want an outpouring of the Holy Ghost, but we're not, we're not always in unity. We're not unified. If we could ever get in unity and unified, and it doesn't matter who gets elected, who gets appointed, who doesn't, we're going to get to Acts 2. And if we can ever get to Acts 2, we'll have an explosion that we cannot contain. The explosion of Pentecost is the greatest thing that ever happened. Acts 2 is the inception and the birth of the church that Jesus first talked about when he said to Peter, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and you're going to preach this. Now, Peter did not preach it until first he had received it. Oh, man. Because you can't even understand the scripture without being filled with the spirit that inspired the scripture. There's a limited understanding, limited understanding and comprehension of an inspired word of God without the infilling of the Holy Spirit. The best we can do without the Holy Spirit is to obey. I don't understand everything. That's okay. Just Is it in the Bible? Yes, we're going to obey it. Let the understanding follow your obedience. That's not what everybody wants. See, they, I want to, I, I, I'll believe it when I see it. <laughs> I'll obey it when I understand it. If you find the scripture, if it's in the Bible, then just believe it's true. And if you're lacking in understanding, stay in the, in the vein of obedience and God will bring you the revelation. Amen. Is everybody okay with that? Okay, well, if you're not okay, uh, 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 call the office and uh, talk to Derek. Uh, he'll, he'll set up an appointment next year for you. It's the Bible. It's a scripture. So in this expository, next week, we're just kind of, we're going to start pulling apart now. Not just Acts 2, but we're going to, we're trying to, going to get a little, we're going to, we're going to go a little farther because because there's a point in the, in, in the book of Acts where, where we're seeing historical account of the early church. And then it's going to break off into Paul and the conversion of Paul and then the rest of the ministry of Paul. It's a phenomenal, it's a ph- phenomenal thing. And from the book of Acts, we understand. Remember, all of it led up to the book of Acts. All afterwards pointed back to the book of Acts. Why, was, why is this the pivot point? Because the church began where Abraham left off. What they could not do, what Moses couldn't do, what all the kings and the prophets could not do with the blood of goats and rams and, and, and turtle doves and, and oxen, what they could not do, the blood of Jesus did. And what could they not do? Because in the order of Moses, those sins were just pushed forward, rolled back a year. They were displaced for a year. But every year, 
they had to bring the sins back. And there were some goats involved and they would, the high priest would put blood on his hands. He put blood on the head of that goat and release him into the wild. They, and that, you know, that goat would be lost and who knows what other ravaging animals would kill that goat. They called it, that's where we get the, the term scapegoat. They would release that. And so, so what, what was it? Paul wrote, but you were not redeemed with corruptible things. Received from tradition from your fathers. But you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. So the redemption of your life began on the, the end of all the gospels. And then right there, there's this little days of gray that appear, these 40 days. And then Jesus ascends. And then all of a sudden we have this powerful breakout in Acts chapter 2. Where our salvation, this testament, uh, began. Because the death of the testator had happened. Amen. Okay. Praise God. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the, for the powerful word of God that restores and heals and delivers. And I thank you for this, this God-inspired book, Lord. You have given it to us, and we are privileged to know it and to memorize it and to study it. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, your homework assignment is to read the book of Acts this week. So go home and start reading the book of Acts. And don't even, don't even talk to anybody. Just read the book of Acts. I love you. God bless you. We're going to have a great Sunday. You're dismissed in the fear of the Lord.